Uh, might get an image on the screen. Some of you will know this brand. If you're Gen Z, you might not. Um, Kodak. And uh, anyone remember Kodak? Yeah. yeah. Okay, in 1996, Kodak was the fifth most... Have I told you this story? I forget where I've told these stories. But it's, um, the fi- in 1996, Kodak was the fifth most valuable brand on the planet. I mean, I love business. Don't worry, we're going to go to the Bible. This has a purpose. But the fifth most valuable brand on the planet, um, they had 145,000 employees. They had two-thirds of the global market in, in their industry, uh, revenues of $31 billion, and a stock price, and I know you're all going, wow, I really wanted to know the Kodak stock price today, of $90. In 1996, to give you an idea, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, a multi-billion dollar company, obviously, even today, 20 years, 22 years later, does not have a stock price of $90 a unit. Kodak was a giant. Fast forward just eight years, 2003, four through to 2011, Kodak never made another profit. They, in two, January 2011, they filed for what they call Section 11 bankruptcy. All of their employees gone, 130-odd labs around the world closed. And I wonder if there was a board member in 1996 who could have even imagined that that would be their story just a few years later in 2012. Contrast that with a couple of years ago, at that time, the fifth most valuable brand in the world was Google, now the world's most valuable brand. It's almost inconceivable, right, that they would be lost. Well, Google started in 1996. as a couple of Stanford students, and uh, at that time, not even a, a, a business. And, uh, and you think about... Kodak, from their place of strength, ultimately was swept away. And then you think about Google, now the most um, valued brand in the world on the planet, um, and its place in the market today. And from a place of vulnerability, strength to strength has come. And from a place of strength, total chaos erupted. When I think, when I think about our lives, this really came, this thought and that whole thought really came from watching people I knew close to me that had at one time been in places that you would call vulnerable, build lives that really are flourishing by the grace of God, and others who had um, collapsed on scales that I could never have predicted and never would have fathomed. And, um, you know, if I can be really honest, some of those were close to my own family, and um, some of the failures, some of the successes, both. And um, I remember just about a year ago, my mum passed away in 2008 prematurely, and um, at the time I remember thinking... God, my mum's such a godly woman, why would this happen? But, you know, normal questions you ask, understanding that we're all um, headed for eternity. And then last year, thinking about what had unfolded, I thought, imagine thinking this, I thought, thank God she's gone. Thank God she was spared the heartbreak. People who from such strong places ended up in inconceivable places and people in places of such vulnerability who have gone on to strength to strength and you look at their lives and go, only God. And so I want to continue talking about what we started to talk about last time I was here, talking about valleys. And um, I talked about passing through the valleys. Today I want to talk about positioning for life beyond the valleys. Um, we talked about how will I pass through it like in my spirit because obviously the valleys of life are coming our way. It's not that we won't get through them. We'll all get through them just because time. But will I get through them in my spirit? We talked about that. And we talked about what will I make them as I pass through them. And today I want to talk to us or continue to talk about emerging beyond them, position for what's possible beyond the valleys of life which are surely coming our way. So here's a passage of scripture I took you to, Psalm 84, Psalm 84 and verses um, 
4 through to 7, if you're following along um, in your Bible. I'm going to try and read it from this Bible. What you won't know about me is that I have maybe the worst eyesight in the room. I have contact lenses in and I still struggle unless I bring my Bible, which I left at home. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. We've got a picture somewhere of the Valley of Baca and um, I want you to get a sense of the Valley of Baca when it's not a place of pools and springs. And it says as they pass through the Valley of Baca where we, where we sort of finished off last time, there you go, they make it a place of autumn rains and of pools and of springs. It's, it's hard to fathom that that valley there can be anything but barren. But that's the context that the psalmist writes in, the Valley of Baca in its barren state being a place of pools and of springs. And, and it says that the, the people make it as they pass through it. So we can go through valleys as barren as that spiritually. And we talked about the fact that um, we can make it something as we pass through it. Um, I, I just want to finish that thought up because I have one final thought I think is incredibly helpful to you. And then let's move on to positioning. And here's the thought. Making something of the valley, they made it something as they passed through it. Um, just on that thought. Just the final thought around that is simply this. A simple way to live that out is just determine that I'm going to add value to every room. This is the thought that, you know, I keep in my head. Like when I walk into whatever room is next, I'm just here to add value. I'm going to make it to the degree that I can form it by the Spirit of God within me. I'm going to form it to be a place of spring, not a place of backer. You know, we can all think of someone, they walk into the room, the mood changes, right? It doesn't matter what's going on. Um, the mood changes, doesn't it? Some people walk into the rooms, a great celebration, and within three minutes, they have done a miracle that is hard to explain and made the room negative. They've been in that room. The Valley of Baca becomes a pool of springs and they do the miracle of turning it back into the Valley of Baca within minutes. But then there are other people, they walk into a room and the Valley of Baca does become that, doesn't it? I met with um, Herbie and Sam the other day and I can say every time I've walked in this room, I don't know them so well yet. So I could be completely wrong. They could be bad people. Um, I don't think so. In fact, Sam's doing a webinar, an ACC webinar with me uh, this winter on um, conflict in startup. We've invited him to be part of that conversation. And, and, um, but one thing I've noticed already, whether it's in this room or whether it's just around a coffee, is that they bring something to the room. They, they bring something to the room every time they, they're in it. This, the, the room lifts. They add value to the room. Uh, I saw on the door, I saw Ken and Diane, same thing. I've only had one coffee and a couple of encounters. Um, but same thing, my sense of them, my sense is that they add value just every time they're in the room. They're thinking about how they add value to people's lives, the environment they're in, the room they're in. I was telling them I caught up with their former senior pastor, Mark Check, the other week, and uh, I just mentioned them and he just lit up. He said, oh, those guys, oh, they're amazing people. So I wish we had them back. I mean, that's a large church, but he wishes he had them back and and um, because why? One of the reasons is, I mean, they love Jesus, but, but it's the outflow of that. They add value to every room they're in. I can see that that's who they are. And I think, you know, if we're going to make the valley of Baca or the valleys that we go through in life just somewhere and change it as we go, just going, I'm just going to add value to the room when I walk in. 
just going to make a difference as I come on Tuesday. Um, on Monday, I deal with a whole bunch of state-related things. And then on Tuesday, I turn up for our own staff meeting in Tamworth. And sometimes I'll get off the phone to whatever's just been going on and I'll just pause in my car and go, okay, well, that spirit can't go with me. That tension can't walk into this room and just go, God, what, what do I need? Where do I have, need to have my head? I'm thinking about people going, what, what value can I add to them before I go in the room here? What am I going to say to such and such? How am I going to speak to such and such? What's going on for them? What are they doing that's incredible? How am I going to add value when I walk in this room? And I think when the church starts to get that kind of thing, and I didn't forget you, mate, just by the way, it's just timing. Um, when the church tries to get that type of thing going on, when we've got that, when we walk into a, a church, and, you, and, and then you're inviting people to that church, I reckon that's a compelling environment that wins the hearts of people. The, 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 the people can see that and feel that. When I go out into my sphere of influence, I call it your parish, my parish, we all have one. You know, in your parish and mine, if we just do something like, Jesus, help me to add value in the rooms today, help me to add value to every person, it doesn't matter what valley I'm walking through, I begin to change the atmosphere of the place where I'm walking and where I'm treading. And so uh, that's the first thought. Does that make sense? It says they go from strength to strength. So here they are, moving through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, and they make it a place, but, but when they emerge from it, they're immediately able to go from strength to strength until they appear before God in, in Zion. And, and so I'm always curious about positioning for what's next. Um, and I think we, we very much position our lives in the valleys. As we stand and sit here today, um, and maybe it's how my brain works, but I think it's what this scripture teaches as well, is I'm thinking, in what, what do I need character-wise, capacity-wise to be in me for God to do whatever he wants to in three to five years? What do I need to be doing now for that to be possible? Now, whether God does anything with it is his business. But me positioning for it is mine. So when we're in the valleys, what, 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 how am I going to emerge out of it? Am I going to emerge out of the valley? I've seen people take a decade to get over a valley. And I've seen people emerge out of a valley and because of who they were in it and because of the way they were in it, I've seen people emerge out of valleys and just go from strength to strength. You have too. And, and if you're going through a valley right now, you're going to emerge from it at some point. The question is, how will I emerge from it? And I will emerge from it based on who I am in the valley and what I do in the valley. And so just thinking about that idea for a, a, a moment this morning, here's my first thought. Number one, they lived and led with faith-filled optimism. When you look at this passage here, it says they... Uh, small print, they go from strength to strength till they appear before God in Zion. Uh, faith-filled optimism is the first thought. Blessed are those who strengthen in you, blessed are those you know, committed to your house, but their eyes were set on a pilgrimage, it says, and their heart was set on Zion. These people, were not, their eyes were not down on the valley they were in, but their faith was lifted up on where they were headed to. And so the first thought for me is that, it's just like, if I'm going to live through the valley in a way that sets me up to go from strength to strength, is to live and lead with faith-filled optimism. Faith, hope and love, the Bible says, are above all things. I've said it to you before already, that I'm a simple guy, so I'm take faith, hope and love and go, okay, if they're above all things, let's just work on those three, the rest will sort itself, you know. So faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and love, the Bible says, God says, are above all other things the big deal. And so faith-filled optimism in my valleys. We want to live with that. What we know is from Scripture is that faith-filled optimism, or faith, if you've got trouble getting over that terminology, 
Faith is the lens God sees with. When, when God looks, if, if faith, hope and love are the biggest deal, surely the lens God sees with is faith, hope and love. So, so God sees, God views with faith. When I was a backslidden teenager doing my thing, and we won't need to go there, you can work out the rest. But when I was there, God saw down into the future a 21-year-old boy coming to his senses as God drew him back to himself. God lives with a lens of faith. He, his language is full of faith. You only got to look at scripture. It's funny to me. I don't know how people make it such a negative book when we got such a faith-filled God. It's the lens God sees with. It's the language God speaks with. And we know in Jesus, it was the spirit that Jesus lived with. Faith, faith-filled optimism is the lens God sees with. It's the language he speaks with. It's the spirit he lives with. And, and that's what these guys were doing. They're moving through the valley of Baca, the valley of woundedness. And as they move through it, they're making it something, but also their eyes are forward. They're going, this is a pilgrimage. This is here today, gone tomorrow. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's hard work, right? We, we know that. No one's dismissing that. But what we also know is their eyes were down the track. They had a lens that they saw with. They had a language that they spoke with. They had a spirit that they lived with. And, and, and it's the same for us. God wants us in our valleys, hard as they are, to come with an eye that sees, a lens that sees with faith. If you're in a valley right now, what does that lens need to see that's not immediately obvious? What does it need to see? A lens to see, a language to speak with. I think it's great to see, but it needs to transfer to our language. And then just a spirit to live with. I tell you, life's short. And um, we, we, we want to live it well. We've got one little crack at this thing. We've got one little moment in time to make an impact on the world we live in. And so, you know, I, when I think of your church, people ask me, so how are you going in Armidale? So, you know, Armidale is honestly what I say. I say, look, it's obviously had a little bit of a turbulent time. It's been tough. I said, but that church, if the next season is gotten right, it will have a revival. And that's honestly what I believe. It will have a revival. This church, look around the room. Just have a look around the room. The capacity, the spirit, the people, the knowledge, the gifts in this room. I mean, your own buildings. You, everything in this room, someone asked me, said, if you could, and I said, if I could just go past a one location, if I could just have one church, if I was applying for a job now, I said, I'd apply to go to Armadale because I feel like, I feel like there's what is there, who is there, God is able to do something way beyond what we can see right now. I really believe that. The next 30 years, the next 30 years should be. And, and you know what? People can say, whatever. I know, I've heard it already. I've heard people say, yeah, but Darren, you don't know our 30-year history. I don't need to to predict the future. What I need is a lens of faith. I need a, I need a language of faith. I need a spirit of faith. That's what I need. I don't need a history lesson on what's been. You know, imagine the Jews are taking a history lesson on the Exodus. 400 years a slave. 400 years. I mean, if they'd taken a history lesson, maybe part of the problem was that some of them did in the first generation take a history lesson. But the next generation, they just came with a lens of faith. They just came, Joshua and Caleb turned up with a language of faith and they came with the spirit of faith. And we know that something went on in that space. And so I think whatever valley you are going through, if you are, if you're not, you're coming to one right. We all are. And so, but not just here and now, not just in this life. Um, I don't know, has anyone ever stayed at an Airbnb? I've stayed at so many Airbnbs. They're good and they're weird, aren't they? Don't you reckon? I'd prefer, personally, I prefer to stay at a hotel. But if I'm with my family, we often stay at an Airbnb. And they're weird because you go into these great homes, but it's obvious someone lives there most of the time or it's set up like someone lives there. 
Life is like an Airbnb. We're, we're in a land that's not ours. This is, if you're a Christian, this is not our home, right? Imagine I went to an Airbnb, just put all my clothes in the cupboard, the owners come back and say, Darren, what are you still doing here? You go, well, I decided to set up camp here. No, no, it's not my home. I'm on a journey somewhere. And this life is not our home. And so they were able to bring faith-filled optimism because they were going to appear before God in the temple in Jerusalem. But ultimately, for the believer, um, there's something way beyond here. Listen to the Bible, just let it stir your heart afresh. Therefore, do not lose heart, anyone feeling like they're in a valley. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary, momentary troubles. Isn't it funny? The Bible calls them light and momentary. Don't sometimes they feel heavy, weighty, enduring. But in the context, this life is a dot of sand on a beach that never ends. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Um, Bible goes on and says, listen, I tell you a mystery in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised, imperishable, and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has has been swallowed up in victory. Where our death is, your victory. Where our death is, your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, right, given all of that, given that this is soon fading away, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Faith-filled optimism that can see beyond my valley and see into eternity. We want to live in that place. That really does help us move through the valleys of life, doesn't it? Um, So that's the first thought. Here's the second thought. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Let me be really clear. I'm I'm passionate about the gathering of God's people. Um, I think that uh, the house of God, here I've written it for you, the house of God, the temporal gathering, temp, temple gathering, it was big for them. Everything flowed from the centrality of worshipping God and the essential environment of gathering together. I think nothing's changed. The house of God, the temple of God, I know it's within and I understand theology. Everything flows from the centrality of worshipping God in the essential environment of gathering together. There's just something powerful about that, right? And uh, that's why Hebrews says what it says, that, that scripture that has been whacked over Christians' heads for, you know, 2,000 years. Do not forsake the gathering together. But there's a reason for that. It's really profound. So that we don't forsake the gathering of God's people together. Incredible. Because there's strength. There's something that goes on. Uh, some people in the valleys position their future for weakness simply because they pull back from what keeps them strong. But in the valleys, we have to continue to do those things which make for strength, don't we? And it's interesting under pressure how people position their lives. But for us, I think what they did, 
um, they kept that thing front and centre. And I think it's so important for our lives just to keep the main things the main things. Um, I, I think first things first is so important in life. But so, well, Darren, I'm just trying to work out balance. I've got all this. Yeah, great. Balance is good, but it's overrated. We don't really live by balance, do we? If, if we really live by balance, there's things that get squeezed out that wouldn't. We live by first, and the rest flows out of that. And for them, one of the first was the gathering together to worship God in his temple and as his people. And, and nothing's really changed. Like, Christianity's not rocket science. Uh, there, there, there is deep theology way beyond me, and I'm thankful for theologians. We have them at home. And um, I think, you know, we need that. But, but it's not rocket science. It's quite simple. And if I'm going to position in the valleys, there are things. That's my bell. It's given me eight minutes. And um, um, if, there, there are things that just to have in place that position us for what God's doing, where God's taking us. And so I know you know that. Um, just thinking for a moment, the house of God, faith-filled optimism. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. And then this thought in verse 11 of the same passage, listen, it says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And, uh, you know, this is a really powerful thought. The Lord our God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour favour and honour, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless or in another version, the upright. Now, let me be clear, obviously, we are made upright by God. God makes us right. But there is a way that the made right are meant to walk, right? Uh, You know, we, we live in an age where we've got three things going on. We've got what I would call law. It's those who would say, yeah, Darren, that's right. And that person over there is, they're a sinner. And I would go, yeah, well, so am I. Um, but for the grace of God and the power to overcome. Yeah. Right? There, there's law which is making demands which we don't necessarily keep on ourselves. And I would say in my mum's generation, that was a big deal. It was, it was completely law-driven. But I, I think we live in a different age now where that's diminishing and what we have is license. And license says that grace has covered that I can just live however the heck I want. And that's not the life or the walk of the upright. The Bible's made it really clear. Like We're made right by God, but there is a way to walk out the life. It's not works that make me right. It's works that follow because of who I am. And so the Bible says here, you know, in this this valley psalm, it's saying that God brings, he bestows his favour and honour, no good thing. When I'm in the valley, just continuing to walk upright, continuing to have a blameless intent as I move through it in the valley. No guile, no agenda, none of that going on, just God. You can see right now. It's amazing, isn't it, what God can see and what he blesses. Remember a few years ago, a friend of mine um, was talking about another friend of ours who pastors a really significant church. He said, man, that guy, I don't know how he got there. He just appeared from nowhere. I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how he got there because God sees in the nowhere, right? And in the valley, in the valley, I just think, just determine I'm going to walk my valley season with uprightness. And it does something that only God can do that nothing else can in positioning us for um, strength to strength. There is, there is a confidence I've written here because of the work of Jesus has done and the pursuit of a blameless walk before God. The, the combination of those things is incredibly powerful. It's not about perfection. It's about intention. It's about direction to live blameless without God. God's agenda and people's good, not positioning things for what I want. 
What a great place to live. Legalism says judgment, judgmental, rule-based, condemning, it's harsh. License says my sins are forgiving and I can live how I like. But liberty, liberty says that I'm liberated from the tyranny of sin and empowered to live a spirit-led life. That's a powerful place to live. That's the opportunity God gives us all. And so we just want to live out of that place. God is looking to move us from a life that's being drawn to a life that's being led. And, and, and in the valley, you know, I think we just want to find that place and continue to move forward as we, we can. So when you think about a blameless life, I'll wrap with these couple of thoughts. I'm positioning for strength to strength. Now, we know that some people in their valley season are going to get hurt and they're going to come out. And instead of going from strength to strength, they're going to go from hurt to bitter. Bible tells us, if you let a root of that get in, it will be toxic, right? Bible tells us. In fact, and I don't want to be disrespectful. My granddad and my grandmother were instrumental in my faith. My granddad baptised me when I was a 10-year-old boy in the Menangle River. I will remember it as long as I have a mind till the day I die. My own granddad. I remember when I came back to faith at 21. I remember standing in church with my granddad and my mother beside me. And it is one of those moments in Liverpool, near Liverpool Station, I will never forget for the rest of my life. But you know, something happened to my granddad that created a valley in his life that wasn't his fault. Actually, he was in the right. He, let, he got hurt, as you do. But in that valley, he got hurt, he allowed it to become wounded, and he left the valley bitter. And by the time my granddad was an old man, he wasn't in church, he was isolated, reading his Bible, having communion if I went there. And he was so toxic in his spirit that after one meeting, I never let Bron go there again. I said, Bron, this is not helpful to you. Godly man, hurt in the valley, who instead of letting it take him from strength to strength, positioned for him to take it into a bitter root that really eroded all the joy in his life. And then there are other people who in the valley make integrous decisions, who turn up trusting Jesus with everything and they emerge strength to strength. You know, just a good spirit, great agenda. Think of King David. How amazing is he? Was there ever a king that treated a man worse that deserved more than David with Saul? But yet in every single valley, David, who knew God saw and God could promote, turns up with a heart that says, no, no, he's God's anointed. I'm here to serve. I'm here to honour you with my life. I'll serve when there's the bear taking on the sheep and the lion as well because I'm going to serve God even with the few things that I've been trusted. He just in life's valleys, he keeps positioning his heart and one day he turns up and he's going from strength to strength. It's what we do in the valley. Our valleys, our valleys are going to either create ceilings beyond them or platforms beyond them, aren't they? You know how I navigate the valleys that I go through in my life. I can come out of them and now I've got a ceiling on my life because it can't be trusted with more, or it creates a, a platform that says, in a tough season, that person stayed about Jesus, that person stayed about people, that person kept a great spirit, there was no guile, there was no agenda, there was faith-filled optimism, they didn't just fall apart and give up until the season turned, no, in the valley they made it something as they moved through, they moved through it with faith, and they just kept positioning their life so that when the valley season ends, and it does, that they were able to move from strength to strength ceilings becoming platforms that God can build on. I think, you know, if you're in a valley season today, it's not fun. It's hell. But I know this, that if we'll get it right, winter always turns, unless you live in Armidale. (laughs) 
Actually, I love your climate, by the way. It's way better for a whitey like me than Tamworth. Tamworth's hell in summer. Um, but life's not one big winter. The question is, how will I enjoy the spring? How will I enjoy the summer? And what's going on in the valley? Well, it will ultimately define that, won't it? Strength to strength until they appeared before God in Zion. Um, why don't you stand with me? What I'm trying to do is just help us go, how am I, how am I going to... How am I going to navigate it? Who am I going to be in it? Because on the other side of that is something God can use, something God can bless, something God can favour and trust. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person here today. I mean, if some people would be in valleys, if, if we're in a valley and we're here, Lord, honouring you, that tells me everything. There's a good heart in me or the people that wants to do the right thing, wants to live well before you. So help us, we pray, God. May you, may you fill our hearts with faith that's inspired by you. May you open our eyes to see the future beyond our valley. May you cause our hearts to leap with faith, God, as to who you are, what you can do, the future you have. Father, I pray for us that we'd be, Lord, as those made right, that we would walk uprightly. May we be those kinds of people. May we walk differently, Lord, to anything around us or that anyone would suggest other than the way you call us to. Oh God, pray you'd strengthen all of us to walk humbly before you, full of mercy, God, uh, as we live out this life. Thank you. Thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for this gathering this morning. We thank you for Jesus, that he has died for our sins, that he is resurrected from the grave and that he is coming again. Thank you, God. Our trust is in who he is, what he's done and all that he's promised. So we thank you today. So we pray your blessing now as Lord, we prepare to go. We pray your blessing on every single person. Lord, may your favour be upon them. May your grace be extended to them. Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.